Hello! You are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samir Keynes, the Trade and Globalization Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bown, a Senior Fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. Astute listeners will have noticed that my job title has changed. And, and you tripped over it. What? And you tripped over it when saying it. No, I didn't. <laughs> I was great. I know my job title. Shut up. <laughs> it's really exciting, and Chad is totally on board. Uh, and what a week it has been for this for this exciting beat. It has been Airbus Tariffs Week. So this episode is going to be about tariffs. But it's also about one of the longest and the biggest trade disputes that's ever taken place at the WTO. If you're an American, it's the reason fancy European cheeses are about to get a lot more expensive. But that's probably the least interesting part of what's going on here. Here was President Donald Trump's reaction when he got asked by a reporter about it on October 2nd. That was a big win for the United States, right? It was. You never had wins with other presidents, did you? But we're having a lot of wins at the WTO since I became president. This was a case that started, I think, 10 or 15 years ago. Excuse me. Your wins are now because they think I don't like the WTO and they want to make sure I'm happy. Because all of those countries were ripping off the United States for many years. They know that I'm wise to it. We've had a lot of wins. This was a $7 billion win. Not bad. I vow to you, listeners, that we will offer more sophisticated and more accurate analysis than that. And we'll bring in some some legal expertise along the way, including our very own dispute settlement lawyer, former WTO appellate body member Jennifer Hillman. First, the headlines. Let's summarize what actually happened here. So the WTO, the World Trade Organization, authorized tariff retaliation of $7.5 billion, that's with a B, that the United States get to impose against imports coming in from the EU after some official meeting of the dispute settlement body in Geneva, blah, blah, blah. So this is the largest WTO-authorized retaliation in a trade dispute ever. Big news. On October 18th, the Trump administration has said that they will begin to hit imported planes from the UK, France, Germany, and Spain with tariffs of 10%. And there were about $3.5 billion worth of imports of these planes in 2018 coming into the U.S. And they're also going to hit with a 25% tariff, a few billion dollars worth of cheeses, adult beverages, and a lot of other consumer products from a number of countries across Europe. Now, this announcement was made, and understandably, everyone started freaking out about the tariffs. And and so we're going to get onto a a mini bugbear of mine, which which is that, yes, tariffs have been in the news a lot, and we're used to feeling outraged about tariffs. But but these are different tariffs in a really important way. These tariffs have been sanctioned by the multilateral system, by the World Trade Organization. As tariffs go, these are sort of the better kind of tariff. That they're, they're the only tough enforcement mechanism the system has. If you just hate tariffs in all circumstances and you think they should never be deployed, then you also think that the world trading system shouldn't have any teeth. That's my bugbear out of the way. So now we can go way back and and talk about the history of this precise case. So, So Chad, take it away. How did we get here? This dispute is about subsidies and subsidies to aircraft makers. And governments have been giving those types of subsidies to companies like Airbus for a really long time. Like decades, a long time. Decades and decades. 
And it also turns out that everyone subsidizes. So it's not just Airbus that's that's going to be receiving these subsidies. We'll also be talking a little bit about Boeing here as well. There's a separate case that's going on in parallel. Boeing has also been given subsidies over the decades as well. And for non-plane geeks, Boeing is the American big aircraft manufacturer. In summary, a lot of different kinds of subsidies going back a really long way and everyone getting upset about subsidies that everyone else is getting. Just to give some examples of the kinds of subsidies that are being disputed here, there's launch aid, which is the European version. This is essentially cheap loans, cheaper than the market could bear. Cheap loans from various European governments to Airbus for for developing these new aircraft. The subsidies that the Europeans are claiming that Boeing is getting from the Americans include these cozy relationships between Boeing and and the Department of Defense, where essentially the the plane company gets lots of money to develop military planes that it can then just use to to sell to, to passengers. But then also the argument is that at the state level, Boeing is getting tax breaks. So Washington state is giving tax breaks to Boeing and and that is is unfair or more concretely that breaks the rules of the global trading system there are rules on subsidies at the world trade organization that are basically meant to level the playing field between companies just like tariffs are an unfair burden on foreign exporters giving subsidies to domestic industries can be unfair help to domestic companies so in 2004 the americans launched a formal dispute at the wto complaining that the European subsidies for Airbus broke those rules. And the Europeans immediately launched a dispute of their own, saying, well, if you're going to challenge us, then your subsidies that you give to Boeing, they also break the rules. Now, there have been a lot of disputes at the World Trade Organization, but this big dispute essentially between the European government and the American government, both accusing the other side of offering subsidies, this dispute was was a bit special. We, we asked Jennifer Hillman how special this, this dispute was. This dispute was completely atypical in so many ways. First was just the size and the complexity of it. At issue in this original case was more than 300 different subsidy programs that were engaged in over a period of more than 40 years. So just getting to the bottom of that many different government programs, different loans, different grants was an extraordinary undertaking in and of itself. The second thing that made it quite different was that the parties on and off asked for various delays at various points in time, either because they needed more time to collect information or evidence or because there was at various times a hope that maybe this could be worked out in some kind of a settlement agreement or otherwise uh, stopped in some way rather than going to completion. Just to explain, if the parties or the countries of a dispute ask for a delay, because they're trying to work things out, it's generally a good idea to give that time to them because basically everyone wants everyone to get along and everyone wants them to settle their own arguments. And thirdly, both Boeing and Airbus were extraordinarily careful about not revealing highly confidential information, information that was very critical to their production of their own aircraft, to their sales, to their pricing, to their customers. So there had to be extraordinary precautions taking to make sure that none of the confidential information could be leaked out in any way. 
entire rooms were created at the WTO. Members of the panel and the appellate body were only allowed to read documents in a specific room with no notes. You couldn't ever send documents out electronically. Everything had to be locked away in particular safes, extra soundproofing around the rooms in which any of the matters were discussed. So it took an entire complexity in terms of just the logistics of the case that was well beyond any case ever heard at the WTO. Now, this was a very, very long and complicated legal dispute, as Jennifer just explained. And it started in 2004, and it's only just getting to the to the tariff stage. And, and between when it started and now, there have been rulings against both governments for, for handing out these subsidies. There have been appeals by those governments saying, oh, no, please look at the decision again. There have been claims that actually, oh, no, we've removed our subsidies now. Come and look. There have been rulings. Nope, you didn't remove your subsidies. And at various different points in time, both sides have said, OK, WTO, we're talking to each other only for talks to collapse. At various points in time, each side has accused the other of also being uncooperative and not willing to talk. Right now, though, it seems as if it's the Europeans being mainly concerned that the Americans aren't willing to talk. Ellen Beattie, in a piece in the Financial Times, has reported that Sabine Weyand, the the director general for trade in the European Commission, came to Washington this summer with an offer to eliminate the trade distorting subsidies in the Airbus case. They said they were willing to submit these government launch aid programs, these alleged subsidies, to some sort of independent arbitration in return for the United States getting rid of its financial support to Boeing. I think on the American side, the perception is that that proposal wasn't a very powerful proposal. I'm also skeptical that 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 offer on its own could have made it into a, a kind of deal to resolve all of this. My impression is that at this point, it's going to be very difficult to negotiate anything before the whole legal process has gone through This European dispute about Boeing is running around eight months behind. While that decision is still pending, I just I'm not sure how a deal could be done. But also a deal would probably have to be much broader. You'd probably have to see other issues rolled into any kind of agreement. Perhaps if the transatlantic trade and and investment partnership, this big agreement between the EU and the US was still being negotiated, perhaps if we were on on the cusp of, of that kind of agreement. It could have been rolled into that. We're clearly not at that point now. There's a separate question, though, about just whether this issue of subsidies to aircraft in in the EU and the United States is really, should it be limited to those two trading partners at the moment? Subsidies impact trade not only between them bilaterally, but also in third markets. And there's a number of other countries around the world that are also subsidizing and producing these aircraft. Canada, Brazil, China at some point in the future. All of these countries are are being impacted by all of these subsidies. So tackling this kind of an issue really is going to involve getting all of them to the table and agreeing on a deal. And that deal could involve everyone saying, you know what, these kinds of subsidies are okay. Or it could say, no, we're all going to limit our subsidies. But it doesn't make sense for just two countries to get together and limit their subsidies if everyone else is still subsidizing. In the absence of a big, cuddly deal where everyone makes friends and sings songs about the end of subsidies or or the continuation of subsidies, I guess we are getting tariffs. 
the biggest ever WTO sanctioned round of tariffs ever. Very exciting. So this is quite large in a WTO context. The next biggest one previous to this was retaliation over $4 billion. That was the foreign sales corporation dispute in the early 2000s and also involving the U.S. and and EU. But it's not that big in today's context of, of course, the trade war. Uh, In the U.S.-China tariff story, there's been tariffs over more than $300 billion worth of trade. Even the U.S. tariffs on steel in in 2018 hit $30 billion worth worth of imports. So this is big by WTO standards, but it's actually not all that big by 2019 standards. And also just relative to the size of the U.S. economy, this is a pain for people importing those products, but it's probably not going to derail the the global economy. Okay, so let's talk about what we're upset about. Uh, Chad, which product are you personally most distressed to see on the tariff list? Well, when I looked at the, the tariff list, a couple jumped out. The, the first and foremost was English cheddar. It's one of the, the things that I like the most. Uh, another was sweaters of a knitted or, or crochet variety. I've noticed since you've moved to, to Washington, you tend to wear these, I guess you call them jumpers, though. Those are now going to be subject to an additional 25% tariff. So if I want to get one, I need to get it in the next 10 days or so. But the really big products on the list were things like scotch whiskey and then French wine. There's actually more than a billion dollars worth of imports of, of those types of products that are going to be hit with these tariffs. Samia, how about you? What's your what's your favorite product on the list? Yeah, I don't really drink alcohol and I don't eat cow's cheese. So I'm really devastated by the by the manchego. Um that was that that jumped out jumped out to me. Um Do you want to explain to everybody what manchego is? People know what manchego is. It's a Spanish sheep's cheese. But onto more sophisticated analysis, there do seem to be some patterns in the way that this list has been drawn up. Uh, now, this is different from steel. This list was carefully selected. The USTR consulted on over $25 billion worth of, of products. They had lots of choice. And, and really what you can do is you can pick the tariffs to please your domestic constituents. And obviously there are some U.S. interests that are fairly happy. The, the, the National Milk Producers Federation strongly endorses the tariffs. So that's probably the, the Wisconsin cheddar folks in, in the case of, of, of my English cheddar that, I, that I'm worried about. Right. So all these U.S. cheese producers are like, hey, hey now we don't get that annoying European competition. Um, but but there's also some political economy to this. So the USTR singled out the four countries that were offering these loans to Airbus, so the UK, Germany, France, and Spain, and and hit their exports in particular with with tariffs. Now other countries did get hit as well. Italy, for example, uh, and I was was on the the call with senior USTR officials just before the the. Um, USDR press release went out. And the explanation for that is, well, well, perhaps those other countries will be more effective at, at persuading the EU to drop their subsidies than the USTR was. So, so even though Italy, in theory, didn't have much to do with these subsidies, perhaps they can put pressure on the EU to, to do what the USTR wants the EU to do. In terms of the, the patterns, th- this dispute is about subsidies to planes, and so they are going to hit planes. So airplanes are going to get hit with a 10% tariff. And in response to this, the American aircraft carriers have started freaking out. Delta Airlines, a, a major American carrier that that buys a lot of these Airbus planes, testified back at the hearings earlier this year that they have to make these 
purchases, these orders for their aircraft, many, many years in advance and signed contracts to that effect. And so they basically said, quote, so imposing a tariff on those past purchases now will not cause Airbus to lose sale. It will simply force the U.S. carrier to pay an enormous unexpected tax when it takes delivery. So what Delta is saying here is that they expect to bear the burden of this tax. They're the ones that are basically going to have to pay for it. The planes are still going to get assembled in Europe and imported into the United States, and it's going to be on Delta to have to pay this higher price for them. Now, it is possible that the airlines will try to renegotiate somehow with the, with the aircraft manufacturers, but obviously we, we don't know how that will go. There is actually a separate story of, of what is not being hit by the tariffs. Before the formal announcement was made, there was a lot of, of fear and worry that the U.S. was going to hit aircraft parts. Now, the, the situation is that essentially since 2015, Airbus has been assembling planes in, in mobile Alabama. And a lot of the parts of those planes still come from the EU. So they get wings from Northern Ireland. They get horizontal stabilizers from Spain and, and front fuselage from France. And, and a lot of those parts were on the proposed list back, back in April. Now, the reason that people were so worried is because if you're Airbus, you can't easily shift production of those parts. You can't shift the supply chains to avoid the tariffs, and and the tariff could make those parts become prohibitively expensive. But luckily for Airbus, now that they have this assembly plant in Mobile, Alabama, up and running, they've got over 1,000 people working there. And all those U.S. jobs mean that they now have politicians that can testify on their behalf at these hearings. And so you saw back in the spring at these hearings, the mayor of Mobile, Alabama, actually testified on behalf of of Airbus in this case. And that was important because on the other side, you had congresspeople from the state of Washington, the state of, of South Carolina, where Boeing has assembly facilities and built its aircraft, testifying on the other side. I guess the lesson for manufacturers is that if you locate production in the U.S., then you can get clout. And, and that will help you to avoid some of the tariff risk. On October 18th, we're going to get these tariffs. And as a consumer of European cheese, I will be very sad if prices go up. But I'm also going to be looking out for another ruling that's going to come out of the World Trade Organization any day now, probably before the end of the year. And that ruling is over whether the EU has already complied with the World Trade Organization saying it shouldn't have these subsidies, so whether the EU has actually removed the subsidies. We asked Jennifer what would happen if the WTO made that ruling. If a compliance panel rules that the EU has already fully complied and no longer has subsidies available and has removed the adverse effects of the subsidies that were provided, then the United States no longer will have the legal authority to impose these retaliatory tariffs. The risk in all of this, though, is that the timing could get mucked up. The Americans are are blocking the appointment of these members to the appellate body. And after December 10th, it could be that there's just not enough of them to, to hear these appeals. Here's Jennifer. If the panel report comes out and says that the EU has completely complied with its obligations, presumably the United States may wish to appeal that report, which they have a right to do. The problem will come for the United States or for the European Union, depending on who wins it, is do we have a functioning appellate body? 
because as of December the 10th, we will be down to only one remaining member of the WTO appellate body. There are supposed to be seven people on the appellate body. We're down to just three of them. And of those three, two of them have a term that expires on December 10th. So after December 10th, if there is an appeal filed, it simply goes into the void. There is no appellate body to hear it, which means that nobody can enforce any rights under the panel report because you're not allowed to take any action while an appeal is pending. If there is no appellate body, the appeal will pend forever. And then legally, the EU is not entitled to act on the panel's ruling because it is under appeal. So yes, then there would never be a formal ruling by the DSB telling the United States to take the tariffs off. Looking ahead, there are some really big unknowns we don't know what the World Trade Organization is going to rule, whether whether the EU has complied, which could be really important. We don't know what happens if the WTO finds that the EU has removed the subsidies and the US just carries on applying tariffs anyway. We're at a really dicey time for the dispute settlement system and the risk is that Either side could lose faith in the system to settle the dispute. They take matters into their own hands and start imposing unilateral tariffs. And we really don't know what a resolution to this this whole dispute could be. We know that President Trump likes tariffs. There's, there's more tariffs going on. It's possible that the Europeans are going to be authorized to impose tariffs uh, in the Boeing case very soon as well. And so the big concern is, is that going to ultimately be the the resolution to this dispute? Is just both of these economies imposing tariffs on each other instead of solving it some other way? My final takeaway is that in this very long and boring dispute with a lot of ill feeling on both sides, the only winners in this are the trade lawyers. They have done very well out of this dispute and... As a cheese eater, I'm about to not do so well. This was a $7 billion win. Not bad. My final takeaway here is this is not the WTO making a ruling to please President Trump. This is a normal decision. This is the way the WTO works. That is all for Trade Talks. A huge thank you to Jennifer Hillman, former WTO Appellate Body member and now Senior Fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. Thanks also to my colleague, Jin Young here at the Peterson Institute for helping me with the tariff data. Thank you to Colin Warren, who handles our audio. And educators and students, if you're using Trade Talks as, as part of a course, check out some of the new things that we're doing on our newly revamped website. That's at www.tradetalkspodcast.com. And do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bound. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because to fix all these disputes over aircraft subsidies, two disputes could be better than one, hopefully.